Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast, our draft recap podcast, which is presented by Royal Farms Real Fresh, Real Fast. Paul Mancano, Brendan Mortensen here with you the day after the draft. Sleep has not been our friend as of late. It's been a late night last night. We're back here in the web studio to break down uh, the selection of Colton Kowser, number five overall in the MLB draft by the Baltimore Orioles. We'll talk about what he means for the Orioles going forward, what went into that decision by Mike Elias to pick him. Uh, but Brendan, a, a big selection. It's fair to say the, the importance, even though you know it's not number one or number two like we've seen Mike Elias make over the past two years, still an important pick for the Baltimore Orioles at number five last night. Yeah, it's still a top five pick. And Mike Elias said going into the draft that he expected to get an impact player and anything less than that would be considered a failure. So the Orioles, yes, they went presumably under slot with this number five overall pick. But regardless, the priority was to get a quality major league player. That's clearly what Mike Elias and company think they have in Colton Kowser. Yeah, let's dive right on into this. Let's start talking about uh, what Colton Kowser brings to the table. On our last podcast, we went through all of the prospects that we thought might be an option. And we firmly had Colton Kowser in that under slot category. He didn't fit into the elite prospect, you know, grouping near the top where you had Jack Leiter, who went number two overall. Um, obviously, you had Marcelo Mayer, who went a pick before the Orioles, so you know not able to, to get their hands on him. You had Henry Davis, who I think the Orioles, were, the catcher out of Louisville, were probably hoping would fall to them, but he went number one overall, so there was no chance. But Colton Kowser was in that underslot category for the Orioles. And he was probably the second-best college position player. He was probably the third or fourth-best college player outright behind Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker. But if the Orioles wanted an established college bat, they got the second best one in the draft behind Henry Davis, who went number one overall to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah. Were you you, you predicted that Henry Davis number one overall pick? I way. did. And I feel vindicated about that. Do you? I mean, the Pirates were either going to go with Mayer or Henry Davis. Most people thought it was Mayer. It was pretty much just up to, I think, which guy they could strike a better deal with, I would assume. And I think Davis probably comes out on top there because most people were assuming that Davis would either go number four or number five. So maybe at number one, the Pirates were able to get better value with that first pick with Davis than and they would have with Mayer. Also a college bat. And right. Michael Elias talked about after the draft last night, the fact that these college bats are coveted, I would say, by... and the draft models that they use often show that those college performers are maybe undervalued and people tend to go for the higher upside, but younger high schoolers. Um, but you can find a lot of value in those, those college players. Um, in terms of who was on the board when the Orioles made their pick, so Davis was off the board, the Detroit Tigers took Jackson Job, uh, number three overall, so they went with an underslot high school pitcher. So you had um, Davis being gone, you had Mayer being gone, 
Uh, you had Leiter being gone. You had Joe being gone. So left on the board for the Orioles at number five. I think the most obvious uh, high upside play left for them if they wanted to take that swing uh, was to go for Jordan Lawler, who went a pick later to the Arizona Diamondbacks. So two very different prospects here in Colton Kowser and Jordan Lawler, and there, the path diverged, and they went with Colton Kowser. Yeah, Jordan Lawler has a really, really high ceiling. I think he's a very good shortstop prospect. He also had a pretty strong commitment to Vanderbilt, so it might have taken a pretty large signing bonus to get Jordan Lawler to stray from that commitment to Vandy. Usually a top five pick, if you're drafting them in the top five, there's a pretty good chance they are going to sign with your team. I don't think there's a a large percent chance that Jordan Lawler ends up going to play at Vanderbilt, but there is still some risk there. So if the Orioles picked Jordan Lawler with that number five overall pick, there's of course the small chance that he does honor that commitment and go to Vanderbilt, but he was a very high upside prospect. And I think people were a little bit surprised, justifiably so, that the Orioles didn't look in that direction with that fifth overall pick. And then there was also Khalil Watson, who was one spot behind Lawler in the prospect rankings, according to MLB Pipeline. He fell all the way to 16. So maybe... I don't know. The people who were doing the mock drafts and things like that maybe just did not have the information that the teams had. It seems like it was not just the Orioles that were not convinced by Khalil Watson. I think that, just looking at that, because there there was talk before the draft that he could be an underslot pick for one. Yeah. At number one to the Pittsburgh Pirates, and he falls all the way down to 15. To me, that says his agent may be up up their demands. Could be. And the reason that he started falling was because he was then asking for a little bit too much money. And he's an interesting prospect to begin with. I mean, he's only five foot nine and he's a shortstop. So if you're looking at the kind of prototypical shortstop in the major leagues right now, you're looking at more of the Carlos Correa build where he's six foot two and hyper athletic and can do everything on the field. Khalil Watson more than likely is going to shift over to second base, I would assume. I don't think there's a single shortstop in the league that's five foot nine. When you think of the shorter guys playing that position, you think of like Francisco Lindor, who's five eleven. Yeah, I don't think there's anybody that height playing shortstop in the major leagues. So maybe teams just didn't think he would translate to that position. And then all of a sudden, if you're not a shortstop, your value kind of plummets. Yeah, we saw Brady House, who was another high school shortstop, fall out of the top ten and go number eleven. Guy who many considered was. Maybe a top five talent in this draft. Yeah, he's shortstop another, in air quotes. Though. Right. He's another guy who might shift off of shortstop because they think that he's probably going to be a third baseman long term. Yeah, he's six foot four and he's not the most quick athletic guy in the world. He's more than likely a third baseman. Yeah, absolutely. So the Orioles went and got Colton Kowser with this underslot pick. And when we say underslot, let's recap really quickly. We've done it a million times in this podcast exactly what that means and why. Uh, the underslot is an attractive option for teams. Yeah, there's a misconception that underslotting is a cheap move because on its surface, it looks like you're not spending as much money with that number five overall pick on a guy like Colton Kowser as you would have if you had drafted, say, Kumar Rocker or Jordan Lawler. But it's not like you get to just pocket that money if you draft Colton Kowser rather than one of those other guys. You take the money that you didn't spend on a top prospect with that number five overall pick, and instead you decide to use it later on in the draft. We saw it last year when the Orioles drafted Heston Kerstad second overall. 
they elected to use that money later on in the draft to get somebody like Kobe Mayo, who is now their 14th-ranked prospect in their top 30, where if they had drafted somebody in Mayo's range that was closer to where they probably should have gone in that round, they're probably somewhere in the late 20s in the Orioles' prospect rankings. So you're able to get better value in the later rounds while sacrificing a little bit of talent at the top of the draft. Yeah, and there is it is a little bit of a guessing game because you have an idea of how much these guys are going to sign for when you draft them and when your scouts are evaluating them, but you don't have the exact dollar amount. So there is a little bit of a, a, a estimation, and basically what you're, you're trying to do is you're trying to not kick the can down the road, but kick the can to later rounds of the draft. Right. Um, And just open yourself up to more possibilities. So the Orioles will spend all of their 11800000 dollars that they have in their coffers to be able to spend on draft prospects. It's just where that money goes. Yeah, and Jeff on Facebook asking, why would an agent take an underslot deal? Well, you're getting drafted number five overall if you're taking an underslot deal. So it's probably the same amount of money that you would get if you were drafted, say, number 10 overall. You're just getting it at a different spot in the draft. So the player is probably getting the same amount of money from their signing bonus. It's just where exactly they go in the draft. Yeah, it's the agent and player don't have all that much leverage. Like So the the idea that they can... If, if a team is evaluating them for number five overall, where they're the 10th best prospect in that draft, it's only, not only, but a large part of it is the money. So if they start, the agent starts upping that, you know, demand and saying, we want a higher pick, higher, more money, they're like, well, you're not going to get that anyway, because then you're going to fall to 10 or 15, and a team's not going to give you that anyway. So they say, all right, well, we'll take this sum of money but we would rather go five than we would 10. And speaking of pick number 10, Paul, let's talk for a minute about Kumar Rocker because we are getting a lot of comments on Facebook saying pitching, pitching, pitching. Where was he on your uh, Royal Farms big board, Brandon? On my Royal Farms big board, he was the sixth ranked prospect. But (laughs) as I mentioned, he had a bunch of issues that came up during his junior year pitching. He was not as dominant as most people thought he would be. He had some issues with command. His velocity on his fastball was a little all over the place. He probably just didn't check as many boxes as the Orioles would have liked if you're going to draft a pitcher with that number five overall pick. He ends up sliding to number 10 to the New York Mets, where they probably have to pay him like a top five pick because we're assuming that that's what Kumar Rocker's agent was demanding. Yeah, and it's not like Michael Elias isn't aware that a lot of the top pitchers in baseball come from the first round. I mean, he said it before that if you look at a lot of the aces around baseball, most of them are first round picks and a lot of them are high first round picks, but you do have to, at some point take position players. When look back to 2018, 2019, they had Grayson Rodriguez and DL hall back to back picks. Both those guys are highly touted around baseball as top prospects you still are probably going to get a top five pick next year. You can take a pitcher then. Just because you have a, a need on the current day roster does not mean that that will be a need three or four years down the line when these guys debut and when they make an actual impact, not just when they're rookies, when they are actually contributing to a winning team. So maybe the Orioles have a pitching problem then and they can address it in free agency or trades. But for right now, 
They shouldn't be looking at this current roster and saying, we need somebody to replace Matt Harvey in the rotation. Go take Kumar Rocker. That's not how it works. Right. And Mike Elias said heading into the draft that because the previous regime drafted so many pitchers, he had a little bit more flexibility to take position players at the top of the draft. And that's exactly it, Paul. The current major league team, yes, needs pitching. The minor leagues is absolutely stacked with pitching. And when you are looking at the farm system, that's not really the need right now. Yeah. You've drafted guys like Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall, and you've also got a bunch of guys in trades that have performed really well in Kyle Bradish and Kevin Smith. The pitching in the minor leagues is the strength yeah. of the Orioles farm system at this point. You need to bolster the position players in the farm system and right that, now. That may flip. You know, maybe in a year's time, we're saying, all right, it's getting a little position player heavy. And then we start talking about, all right, maybe you take a pitcher or maybe you draft a few more pitchers in it. Also, considering this is just round one of a 20 round draft, they could go with 19 pitchers <laughs> over the next 19 rounds. They right. probably won't. But the idea is they could take a ton, a ton of swings on pitchers over the next day and a half. Rounds two through 10 start at one o'clock today. And then you have the draft wrap up tomorrow. So just because they didn't take the one with their very first pick in this draft doesn't mean that they're not going to take a bunch over the coming days. But yeah, you, you mentioned it, Brendan. You have Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall, Mike Bauman is his seventh-ranked prospect. Dean Kramer's technically graduated from their system, but he's still highly rated. Uh, you have Kevin Smith that you mentioned. They got in a, a trade last year with the Mets. Uh, he's already been promoted to AAA. You have Kyle Bradish, who's already been pr promoted to AAA. You have Alexander Wells. You have Zach Lowther. So there, there is no shortage for right now in the system of pitching. And even Garrett Stallings, who they got in a trade yeah. from the Angels, he's, what, the 26th-ranked prospect in the Orioles system, and that's a proven college arm. Yeah. So they have a ton of really good pitching in the minors right now, and they needed help position player-wise, and they get a really good one in Colton Kowser. Yeah. All right, let's start talking about Colton Kowser and what he brings to the table. 21 years old from Sam Houston State, the Bearcats with a K, Brendan. Yeah, they that's, spell it weird. They do spell it weird. Uh overall, the way that I like to think of Colton Kowser, and when we were doing our draft prep, I like to say that he is the best of both worlds between Heston Kerstad and Hudson Haskin because you have the alliteration, H.H. Hudson Haskin, Colton Kowser, C.C. Uh, you have... That's <laughs> the, the important part. The yeah. lefty bat, which you borrow from uh, Heston Kerstad. You have the speed, which you got from Hudson Haskin. So he is the perfect combination of these two, but he, he does bring to the table a lot of different skills. Michael Elias described him as a five-tool prospect, and honestly, he fits that bill for the most part. The question is, you know, are, is the combination of those five tools going to be good enough, you know, for it to come together? And that's the hope, and that, uh, but that's what they're looking at him and seeing. You know, it doesn't always work out. Yusniel Diaz is a five-tool prospect where he has not been able to put it all together just yet. But Kowser has all five of those, uh, at least on the surface level, coming out of college. He has the speed. He has a little bit of pop in his bat with those 16 homers. Uh, he hit 374. He's got an advanced 60-hit tool. So that is very good. Only a few players have that in the draft. Uh, and then he won Defensive Player of the Year in center field uh, in his the Southland Conference. So he has, on paper, all five tools, Brendan. Yeah, and... Pretty much everything you'll read on Colton Kowser will tell you that he is a high-probability major leaguer. Right. Because he has all of the tools, and if they project throughout the minor leagues, he has a really good chance of making an impact on this Orioles roster. Like you said. High floor. High floor. 
he maybe doesn't have the highest ceiling out of the guys that the Orioles could have taken with that number five overall pick. He probably doesn't have the ceiling of a Jordan Lawler or Cleo Watson, but you can make a case that he has a higher percent chance of making the major leagues. He's an established college bat, and if that's what you're looking for as the Baltimore Orioles, he is the best college bat that was available at number five. If you wanted a college bat, He's the best one you could have taken. Yeah, and I think this also shows if Henry Davis were on the board, that probably would have been the Orioles pick. Absolutely. Uh, Even though he is a catcher, I think they probably would have taken him and said, we'll figure out his position later, whether he moves to the outfield or third base or wherever or stays behind the plate, because that's how much we've seen Mike Elias uh, like and, and find affinity to these college bats. We saw last year. The first three picks by the Baltimore Orioles were Heston Kerstad, Hudson Haskin, Jordan Westberg, uh, in a different order than that. But those three guys, all three of them were college bats, and two of them were outfielders. So this is the kind of way that we've seen Mike Elias go, the draft strategy that he has employed with the Orioles over the past few years. Yeah, and the pro comparisons for Colton Kowser aren't the most exciting things in the world. He gets compared to guys like Brandon Nimmo and Bradley Zimmer. Brandon Nimmo right now is hitting 315 and only has one home run on the year. Colton Kowser has more power than that. Most scouts think he'll probably be a 20-plus home run guy. He probably won't hit 30 or 40, but he has a decent amount of power. And he's a good, speedy outfielder, and most scouts think he can stick in center field. And and also the comparisons. I mean, it's it's just scouts saying we see shades of this guy. Right. It's not saying this guy is on the path to become this right. Brandon Nimmo. It is just we see shades of this guy. He could be better. He could not make the major leagues in theory and not not be as good as Brandon Nimmo. So there's a wide range of outcomes here. All they're saying is, you know, whether we see something of Brandon Nimmo in Colton Kowser. And he is solid enough defensively where I don't know if he is going to stick in center field. Most scouts have said that he has enough speed to potentially do that. He doesn't have a fantastic arm, but he does have good reactions in center. So he can probably play there in a pinch if you need him to. I think he most likely projects as a corner outfield, but it's a a little weird because most corner outfielders you would think of as like power hitters, but he's not really a power hitter. He's more of an average guy. So I I don't know. He kind of floats around in the outfield, which is good flexibility to have. And Michael Elias yesterday after the draft hopped on with the media, talked a little bit about uh, the elite contact power and the the 60 grade hit tool uh, for Colton Kowser with the media. Kowser's a guy that we were very, very high on, um, especially as the spring got going and, and the, the uh, the surge in power that he was showing and the the consistency at the plate. I think one thing that's just really rare with him, um, especially in today's game, is the hit for average tool and the power without striking out. He's an elite contact hitter. Um, he uses the whole field, and like I said, he runs and throws and plays center field and plays it well, um, and is just really uh, able to do it all. And and those type of profiles are hard to find, especially with the, um, the, the certainty that an elite college performer provides. So, um, you know, that's why he was, um, viewed, uh, by the industry as a top of the first round talent. And, um, we pounced on him. So that's a major difference right there between Heston Kerstad and Colton Kowser. 
because the hit tool last year for Heston Kerstad was not nearly as high. The power was definitely higher, and scouts all agreed that Heston Kerstad could become an elite power hitter at the major leagues. But the question was, was he going to make consistent contact? We saw a small sample size last year in the you know shortened 2020 season at Arkansas with Heston Kerstad. He hit like 370. Or no, he, th- he hit over 400, I think, in those like 16 games yeah. before the season got shut down last year. But there were still some concerns over the hit tool, the contact from Heston Kerstad. That's not at all a concern for Colton Kowser. Yeah, Colton Kowser was probably the second best college hitter in this draft period. Heston Kerstad last year was probably the second best power hitting college bat. Yeah. So big difference there. Heston Kerstad was not really a contact guy. There were other guys ahead of him in the college ranks that were better contact hitters with Austin Martin. Garrett Mitchell and Nick Gonzalez, probably all being better college bats than Heston Kerstad. Kerstad just had the lefty power, which would play really well at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, which is probably what intrigued Michael Elias and company about him so much with that number two overall pick. Yeah, so while the hit tool is much higher, the power is a little bit less, and that the the difficulty with scouts is just determining how likely, not just how high is that tool and how good can it be, but how likely it is that they hit their ceiling you know, with any one of those tools. And the other big difference that you just mentioned right before we went to that clip of Elias is the defense. So while they're, you know, it's un- unclear right now this kid's 21 years old. We have no idea if he's going to stick in center field long-term. Michael Elias seems to think he is a center fielder and he did win his conference player of the year last year. And he showed that he could be a good center fielder, but you know, there's a big difference between playing in the Southland conference and playing in double A AA or triple A. Um, but even if he doesn't stick in center field, the thinking is he will be, at least right now, you know, just based on his tools, he's a better defensive outfielder than Heston Kerstad was. Definitely. And if you need to stick him in a corner outfield, it's a lot better to stick a center fielder in a corner outfielder than just trying to make a corner outfielder work. And if you need an example of that, look at Austin Hayes and Ryan McKenna at the major league level right now, two guys that are perfectly capable of playing center field, but Cedric Mullins is obviously locking down that spot right now. And both Hayes and McKenna, having shifted over to a corner outfield spot, are playing elite corner outfield defense because they're good enough to play in center, but now you just put them in the corner because you have Cedric Mullins in center. Yeah, Kowser and, and Kerstad are just different molds of outfielders. And right. if, if Colton Kowser is a corner outfielder, they're just the two different types of corner outfielders. There's the corner outfielder that is a former center fielder and can play center field in a pinch, and there's the corner outfielder that is a power hitter that is mostly just stuck in the corner outfield because they can't play too many other positions and they already have a DH. Right. The first is probably Colton Kowser. The second is probably Heston Kerstad. Right. And the second, you look at Ryan Mountcastle and DJ Stewart. And Trey ideally, Mancini a couple years ago. Yeah, and yeah. Trey Mancini. Ideally, you don't really want them in a corner outfield, but their bat is so good that you need them in the lineup. Right. Colton Kowser is going to be much better defensively than those guys. Yeah, it's just a different different kind of molds. Right. Um, and also, interestingly enough, we've heard Mike Elias say over the past week, called Cedric Mullins a face of the franchise type player. He's quickly becoming that. And he specifically mentioned in our, our interview on Mass and All Access the fact that Cedric Mullins is currently in center field right now for this team. So he kind of talked about the possibility of Cedric Mullins still being in center field when Colton Kowser makes his big league debut. So 
he's looking a little bit longer term with uh, Cedric Mullins. Yeah, that, that's the most that we've heard him talk about like long term, uh, other than maybe Ryan Mountcastle with a current guy who's on the roster. Which is exciting because the Orioles for the last few years, at least, if there is a player that is performing well at the major leagues, it's just kind of a countdown to the trade deadline to see what prospects they can get for him. But Cedric Mullins at 26 years old in center field, at least from everything we're hearing from Mike Elias so far, we've been a little surprised that he is talking about Cedric Mullins like this. We thought there wasn't a high percent chance that they trade Mullins at the deadline, but the chance is always still there because he's yeah. been so good this year and you could get an absolute haul of prospects for him if you do end up trading him. So it's a, a nice little surprise to hear Mike Elias talk about Cedric Mullins as a guy who is presumably going to be sticking with the franchise for the next few years. It's a nice thought that he's imagining Cedric Mullins in center with Heston Kerstad or Austin Hayes or Colton Kowser on the opposite yeah. sides of him in center. That's a, a cool way to kind of imagine the future. Yeah. Um, in terms of, we talked about it earlier in the podcast, but these college performers and Mike Elias has shown an affinity in the first round, the all three first round picks that he's made have been college performers. And he talked about that yesterday with the media, why he is drawn to these college performers. It seems to fit the draft models that he is following. Um, you know, these elite college performers over and over are surprisingly good when you look back at past drafts and it, you, you're amazed um, that they didn't go higher sometimes. Um, and that has continued to be a lesson of hin- history year after year. And we're very mindful of that. But I've been a part of a lot of high picks. We've taken high school hitters many times with those high picks. We've taken college hitters. It just depends. And it depends on the evaluation. And unfortunately, when you're picking high, you only get one pick because you like a lot of these guys and you have to pick one player. You can't take more than one home. So um, we got our guy uh, very pleased about that. But, um, you know, there were a lot of players in this draft and there's still a lot of players on the board that we really, really like. And we'll see where this goes next round. These draft models have become increasingly popular among front offices. And while Mike Elias is not tipping his hand as to what he's using, what his scouts are telling him, and what people like Sigmai Dell and others in the front office, his analytics department is telling him. We have a general sense of there is a, a group of people in that front office that looks at previous drafts, analyzes all the data, and says, this kind of demographic is undervalued. This kind of demographic is overvalued. And it's pretty clear to me, Brendan, that he and his front office believe that college performers is an undervalued demographic. Well, and it's pretty clear, regardless of whether or not we know the specifics, it's clear that the Orioles are a metric-heavy team. Yes. <laughs> they are going to look at the analytics with these college and high school players and probably going to draft based on the probability that these guys make the major leagues. Colton Kowser, like I said before, according to pretty much all of the metrics on Colton Kowser, he is a high-probability major leaguer. He might not have the same ceiling that some of the other guys available at number five had, but the percentage chance that he makes the major leagues and is a quality starter is higher than some of the other guys that were on the board, probably most of the guys that were on the board at that spot. So if you are looking for somebody who is going to be a high-probability major leaguer, Colton Kowser was the pick. And I went back and I looked at some of the previous drafts because you heard Elias say there, you look at previous drafts and say, oh, this guy should have gone higher, and a lot of those guys are college performers. Go back to 2011, Anthony Rendon at 6, George Springer George Springer at 11. Both those guys, college 
bats that did not go in the top five that probably should have, definitely should have. Yeah. 2014, Kyle Schwarber at four, Michael Conforto at 10, Trey Turner at 13. Those guys should have gone higher, all college performers. 2015, Andrew Benintendi at seven, Ian Happ at nine, and then 2016, Kyle Lewis at 11. So all guys that were taken right in that range that the Orioles were. So the, the hope is that they landed with Colton Kowser, another guy that in a few years were saying, this guy was an elite college hitter at Sam Houston State. Why didn't why wasn't he being looked at as one of the better prospects of this draft? And why did we think that he was the 10th best prospect and that it was a reach for the Orioles at five? Yeah, I think Kyle Lewis in 2016, did he win the Golden Spikes Award that year? He might have been the best player in college baseball in 2016. And Colton Kowser was one of the best players in all of college baseball this year. Like I said before, he's he probably, yeah, Kyle, Kyle Lewis won Mercer. the Golden Spikes Award in 2016, Colton Kowser, as I said before, probably the second best college position player in this draft behind number one overall pick Henry Davis. The high school players are really hard to project. You are hoping that Khalil Watson in four or five years turns into the kind of player that you're hoping he could be. You are hoping that Jordan Lawler in four or five years turns into a Carlos Correa-esque shortstop. A college bat like Colton Kowser you're probably going to see him in double-A buoy next year. Yeah, it's a, it's a safer pick in right. theory. And the idea is you go with a couple guys who are safer, eventually one of those guys is going to break out and might might have, uh, you know, go ahead above their ceiling. Um, and the hope is that you have enough of those guys that you can build a solid team. Um, and the especially when it comes to the Jordan Lawler conversation, I think that they were just not willing to spend that kind of money on a guy that they considered higher risk. Right. The, the ceiling was higher for Jordan Lawler, but when you're committing a significant dollar amount to your first-round pick, you're hampering yourself in the, in the 19 rounds that follow. And so their thinking is, if we save a little money here um, on a guy that we think does, may not have quite the ceiling that Jordan Lawler does, but he has a higher floor than Jordan Lawler does, you know, maybe he will be a productive big leaguer. Who knows? Maybe he'll be... a uh, even better than that could be an all-star level player and we saved ourselves a little bit of money that we can spend later on in the draft and it's not like Michael Elias is not going to draft a high schooler if he thinks the potential is yes. there he drafted Gunnar Henderson exactly. in 2019 because it made sense at that spot and Gunnar Henderson has been fantastic so far he's been flying up prospect rankings so it's entirely possible that with the number five overall pick Elias opts to go for a little bit of a safer option and maybe later on in the draft, we'll see what he does with his second round pick. Maybe there's a high schooler there that falls a little bit. And because high schoolers are so much harder to project, maybe there's somebody that the Orioles are really high on that other teams aren't. And maybe they find really good value at that spot. Yeah. And of course, Michael Elias is not going to come out and say this guy is an underslot pick, but he was fairly candid when he spoke with the media yesterday about uh, the fact that he, he could be getting a little bit of a discount here. Uh, with Colton Kowser. Well, look, whatever we end up signing him for, we'll sign him for. And and obviously from the club side, you 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 want to uh, preserve as much capital for the rest of the draft as possible. But you take the guy that you want to take. And that's what we did here. This is this was our player at at five. Um, and so that's the most important thing, I think, for our draft and the way we've approached it wherever I've been. Um, but it, you know, the, you, you do, uh, work your bonus pool in this day and age and that's what happens. But, um, you know, the draft is, um, 
it's always evolving. Um, you know, just before I came up here, there were a couple picks that, that we weren't expecting. Teams have a lot of proprietary information nowadays that aren't available to the public and the media. And, um, you know, it makes for differences based on uh, what's out there. So, um, you know, I'm sure there'll be more, more surprises later tonight and we're going to be poised to um, be as aggressive as possible signing good talent that's still on the board for the next few picks. A good summary of the underslot strategy that Mike Elias has employed over the past couple of years. And Brendan, you mentioned Gunnar Henderson. The idea that uh, they could take a high schooler, you know, with the second or third round pick who may sl- sign for a little bit over slot because they save themselves some money there. And there are some guys on the board that they might be able to take with a second or third round pick maybe who are just hanging around because teams don't want to pay them the money. Yeah, Nathan on YouTube, thanks for following along, says we want Peyton Stovall today. I want Peyton Stovall today. I think that would be a fantastic second-round pick. He is the 29th-ranked prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. 18-year-old high schooler. You mentioned that only a few guys in the top 60 have a 60-hit tool, like Colton Kowser does. Peyton Stovall, 18 years old, 60-hit tool. Yeah, how many guys? Didn't you go back and look at how there many guys had a 60-hit tool? Seven guys in the top 60 prospects, according to MLB Pipeline, that have a hit tool of 60 Peyton Stovall still on the board, the 29th-ranked prospect that the Orioles could maybe look at with that 41st overall pick in the second round. 60 overall hit tool. He could be a really good pick. He's an infielder, just 18 years old, committed to Arkansas right now, left-handed bat. I think it would be a really good pick and probably an overslot in that second round, but the Orioles now have the flexibility because of that Colton Kowser pick. And they have the 41st overall pick in the draft uh, that picks back up at one o'clock today and you look at the board of the guys that are left and I don't want to you know go too off about the guys that are left now because this podcast will be irrelevant in two days but uh there are you know the top guys there are ranked in the top 20 and they're high school bats probably because teams aren't as willing to hand them as much money but now that they've fallen out of that first round and out of the competitive uh round a and the Orioles have a Pick and competitive uh, balance round B, by the way, at yeah. 65. So they have a couple picks coming up pretty quickly. The thinking is maybe you can get them, pay them a little bit more than the average second round pick, but you're getting a better talent. And I think Orioles fans, while Colton Kowser might be a little bit surprising at number five, if the Orioles are able to get a Gunnar Henderson-esque prospect with this 41st overall pick, I think they'll be pretty happy with that. Absolutely. All right. In terms of Colton Kowser in this farm system, where do you think... In a couple days when the MLB Pipeline farm system rankings are uh, updated, where do you think Colton Kowser is going to slot into the Orioles' top 30? I think probably number five or number six. The one guy that we were talking about where we're not sure if he's going to go ahead or behind is Gunnar Henderson, who has been flying up draft boards. It's really just going to depend on how highly people think of Gunnar Henderson because he wasn't drafted as highly as Colton Kowser was, obviously. But is he just good enough because of where he was in the draft to regardless of that and how he's played in the minor leagues still fly up boards. So maybe Colton Kowser is ahead of Gunnar Henderson. I think he probably is. I think he comes in at number five. If he is ahead of Gunnar Henderson, he will definitely be in the top 100. Gunnar Henderson is 91 in the MLB pipeline top 100 rankings, which gives the Orioles what five. I think they have five prospects in their top 100 right now. 
Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez, Heston Kerstad, D.L. Hall, and Gunnar Henderson. So if you slot, um, you know, Colton Kowser into that top 100 ahead of uh, Gunnar Henderson, he's going to be there. Although we don't know, you know, this whole influx of new prospects is probably right. going to push some guys down. There's probably a We're chance gonna that Gunnar Henderson at, what, 91 right now? Might be bumped out. pushed out of the top 100. Because we're going to see Henry Davis and all these guys right. be added, Jordan Lawler, be added to the top 100. Um, but yeah, in terms of the Orioles system, he, I, I think he's going to be right in that range. I think he's probably ahead of Westberg. Yes. But I think he is going to be right in that range, um, which is pretty solid for a, a number five overall pick. And it... It'll be interesting to see the other guys that they select, where these guys fit in their top 30 as well. Because I was kind of surprised last year in 2020, maybe I shouldn't have been, with all the picks that in 2020 immediately slotted into the Orioles' top 30. And it shows that the second and third and fourth and fifth round picks are still highly touted prospects. Even though, just because they're not part of the first 45 or 50 that go off the board doesn't mean that they're not viewed as highly touted prospects. Jordan Westberg, who was the 30th overall pick last year, immediately slotted into the Orioles' top 10, and now he's the sixth-ranked prospect. Uh, Hudson Haskin, who was their second-round pick, number 13 in the Orioles' system right now. Uh, Carter Baumler, who was a later-round pick, I believe he was their final pick in that draft, in the fifth round, is their 19th-ranked prospect. So... The Orioles system is going to get an influx of talent over the coming days. Yeah, and Kobe Mayo comes in at number 14, who yeah. is their second to last pick in that draft. And you don't get Kobe Mayo unless you draft Heston Kerstad second overall for that underslot value. Absolutely. So um, it is a while it is a similar strategy to last year, I think Colton Kowser is a different type of player. Honestly, I also think there's a difference to, to bring up the Kerstad thing one more time. And look... Heston Kerstad is going through his health concerns, and that is, we hope, the absolute best for him. And I think it's there is no reason whatsoever to be in it, for anybody to be in a position to judge that pick now. We have no idea what Heston Kerstad is going to be. We hope that he is going to be on the field in 2021, and if not, then 2022. But his health concerns are first and foremost, and what he ends up being... Uh, you know, if he has more complications with his health concerns, that should not be an indictment of that number two overall pick. It is just a situation out of their control. Right. And the bottom line is that if Heston Kerstad were at double A buoy right now, as he might have been as an established college bat, if he was hitting well in double A, none of us are talking about how Heston Kerstad was underslotted at number two and how that's a risky Terrible decision. strategy, yeah. We're talking about how Heston Kerstad was underslotted at number two, and not only did you get a great prospect second overall, you also got other guys later in the draft. And, so obviously, yeah. it's impossible to evaluate right now. And and the reason that he isn't in double A right now, is because, or single A at the very least, is because of these health concerns that right. are out of his control, they were out of the Orioles' control. Literally, nobody knew about this until he was drafted. And, you know, it's just literally something that came up after the draft. And it was unfortunate, the timing of it. But that is the reason that he has not... It's not because, oh, this guy was under slot and should have been taken here. It's health concerns that are out of his control. And in fairness, the Colton Cowser strategy, while it's similar to Heston Kerstad, it's not the same, and I don't think we should look at Colton Kowser and Heston Kerstad as the same prospects. Yes. Nor should we look at the draft situations the same. Because if the Orioles last year wanted to draft the second best college bat behind number one overall pick, Spencer Torkelson, 
there were probably better options on the board if they didn't want to go under slot. If they just said the plan is to get the second best college bat behind Torkelson, you had Austin Martin on the board, you had Nick Gonzalez on the board, and you had Garrett Mitchell on the board, all three of which are performing well in the minor leagues right now. Heston Kerstad was just the second best power hitting college bat in last year's draft, while Colton Kowser this year, as I've said before, was the second best college bat period in this draft. So yes, they are kind of similar strategies, but they are definitely different picks in terms of their value and where they go. Absolutely. Um, So we'll see. We'll see what what these guys end up becoming over the coming years. Um, And we'll see what the Orioles do on day two of the draft and day three tomorrow. I'm excited for the home run derby tonight, Brian. Oh, me too. Going to be a good time to watch Trey Mancini hit some dingers. Cedric Mullins in the All-Star game tomorrow. Hopefully a starter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right, that just about does it for our podcast, which, of course, you can watch on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. If you don't do so already, you can listen to it on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts, you can catch the Masson All Access Podcast. And today's episode, our draft recap, is brought to you by Royal Farms Real Fresh, Real Fast. He is Brendan Mortensen, at Brendan Morty on Twitter. I'm at Paul Mancano. Thanks to Bobby Blanco for running the show today. We will be back in a week's time to discuss the All-Star break, All-Star game, home run derby, and the return of baseball in the second half of the 2021 season. Thanks so much for tuning in.